Hey everybody, welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio, and this is episode number 152, April of 2022. Our guest this month is Debbie Lamedman. And Debbie is, well, <laughs> many things, all of them really busy. Among her pursuits, she's a playwright, a teaching artist, and an editor. But hey, not just any old editor. Debbie is the editor for three of Smith & Krause's upcoming books, the best 10-minute plays of 2021, the best women's monologues of 2021, and the best men's monologues of 2021. For all of you book editors out there, well, you know the level of commitment that this entails. As a playwright, Debbie's written many different works, including plays and monologues specifically geared for young people. Because, hey, you know, the classics are great and everybody should know them, but theater is best when it reflects the actor's personal experiences. There was so much going on with Debbie, I, I honestly had no clue where to start. Uh, okay, so that's a great place to start because uh, I I have always been in the theater, always. Yeah. Um, it's all, all I ever wanted to do. I started as a teen, as a dancer, and was oh. enthralled with musical theater. And then um, when I went to school, all I wanted to do was dance and I, I really had dreams of being on Broadway until I had a wonderful dance teacher who told me I would never make it because of my body type. I was too short. I was too stocky and I wasn't going to do it. Yeah. One of those. So um, I wound up going to the American. Encouraging people in this business. I know. I, I can't imagine because now I have been a teacher and I can't imagine ever saying that. I know. Anyone. Right. It's just how many yeah, lives can you destroy with your callousness? Right. So, uh, you know, it made me even more self-conscious than I was, but it was just, I loved it so much. I took to it like a duck to water and I loved it. And, um, I, and I didn't stop. I didn't stop taking classes, but I stopped going to auditions and things like that. Right. I moved over to acting and, um, <clears throat> went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in, in LA. And, um, and then I thought, when I was done, I thought, I'm an actress. <laughs> and so yeah. I spent most of my 20s waitressing and calling myself an actress, but <laughs> not really doing much or anything else. Yeah, um, the majority of the business does that. So, yeah. Yeah, well. And, uh, you know, uh, I recently read a, an article about the actress Lori Petty, if you know her. Um, yeah, I'm familiar with her. She was in Point Break and Tank Girl, and right. she started League of Her Own. She's currently in Station Eleven on HBO, okay. and we're the same age. She and I are the same age, and we came up at the same time. And in the article, it said she, it was an unfortunate time for actresses because they wanted the cookie cutters. You know, they yeah. didn't want women who looked a little bit different, who were a little quirky in their behavior, and they didn't fit the mold. And so, right. you know, I got a lot of hard knocks coming up at that time. So reevaluating it as I moved into my 30s, I had never finished my degree. I went back to school, got my bachelor's degree, was acting in the undergrad because the teachers were delighted that I was older and had some chops. Yeah. And then I decided to go to, to grad school with the prompting of a mentor because I thought, oh, I'm not going to do this as a career. I'm going to teach and I should have an MFA. Right. And so I went to graduate school 
and I went to Brandeis, still acting, and when left Brandeis and and went moved down to New York City, and I started getting booked, and I, you know, as an actor, and no one was more surprised than I was. I really just couldn't believe it, but the stage has always been kinder to offbeat sort of people than film or television. Not anymore, but back then, this is the nineties. Um, so I, I didn't, I was acting. I actually have a couple years of uh, tax returns that said that was my occupation. (laughs) Living the dream, making my living. I did a revival off Broadway of, um, Rhinoceros. It got terrible reviews. <laughs> um, in Ionesco, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, and then, you know, I felt like, okay, this is happening. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life, and that's really all I ever wanted. I didn't care about fame. I just wanted to work. Sure. And I didn't work always in New York. I went outside of New York and got booked in regional theaters and stuff, and that was fine with me. And then it just stopped. It just stopped where I had to get the job as the waitress and do that whole thing. And I thought after a while, I just thought I will never forget the day. No cell phone. Then I was at a pay phone up at Lincoln center by the Barnes and Noble. And it was pouring rain. And I called my mother who was living in California at the time. And I said, I can't do this anymore. And she said, so come to California, put your stuff in storage, come to California, breathe some ocean air. We'll figure it out. And I went back to California and I never went back to New York. Yeah. I started teaching and I started teaching teenagers and these teenagers were doing monologues that were written for 40 year olds. So I'm watching a 14 year old mm, yeah. girl do a monologue about how she's divorced and has three kids. And I said, you're 14 years old. How do you know anything about this? Right. She exactly. can't find anything. So I said, well, tell me about your life. And she told me, you know, about sneaking cigarettes, sneaking outside her window. And, and uh, her parents had no idea, but she didn't go anywhere. She just hung out in her backyard with her friends. <laughs> she wasn't really a bad girl. And I wrote a monologue about that. And I gave it to her. And she said, Debbie, this is my life. And I said, yeah, I know. I, I wrote it for you. And then a kind of a little bell went off and I started writing just standalone pieces for my yeah. students. And then I thought, hmm, there's got to be something to this. And yep. I little bells wrote a letter to Smith and Krause and I said, I'm right. You know, they have these young actor series books right. that I that I noticed. And they have this whole teen series uh, for monologues and scenes and plays and so um that's how i started uh that's how i got published first was um they accepted my monologue book for teens and i didn't think of myself as a playwright i just thought okay i can dash off a monologue here or there yeah no well, big deal what? you are yeah but, well it took me a long time to wrap my head around it yeah because um for my thesis in grad school i wrote a one woman show again, a mentor prompting me because uh-huh. I was getting, I hated how I got cast in grad school. And it was always one girl, the same girl woman who got all the leads. <laughs> it's just so too. I'm, I'm not an Andrew. You know, sue me. Yeah. I know. I've, I've heard that. That's some better plays. So many times. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, 
I was kind of complaining about how I was getting cast to one of my professors. And she said, then cast yourself in your own show, write your own show. And I said, well, I'm not a writer. And she said, you have to find an umbrella, find an umbrella of what it is, you know, that you want, would want to talk to, talk about the, what has been a running theme throughout your life. I didn't think twice. I immediately said food. And she's okay. okay. Because I had, as a teenager, uh, dancing and then going up to be rejected time and time again for auditions and Mm -hmm. not looking the way they wanted me to look. I developed eating disorders. I just, I developed, uh, I tried to do everything I could to get skinny. Sure. And um, unfortunately, this is not, it's still common today. And this is years ago, right? So, uh, so many young girls are going through what I went through so many years ago. Uh-huh. And it's yeah. Maybe it's a little bit better because the representation in film and TV has gotten better, but Anyway, I wrote a, a show called FAT, P-H-A-T, because right. the acronym P-H-A-T stands for pretty hot and tempting. And so I wanted to take the word and flip it and give it a positive connotation. Sure. Yeah. And it was me playing 15 different characters. And I did that at grad school. And of course, you know, I was on my home turf, so standing right. O's and I didn't think anything would ever come out of this show, but then I did it again in New York and I did it again in New York and the thing, and it kept changing. And I did it so many times that my body changed every time I did the show. It's like, I'm 40 pounds up, I'm 20 pounds down. And, you know, I was rewriting all the time. And, um, and then I put it on the shelf and didn't try to pursue it. When I left New York and I went back to LA um, I, I just left it alone. I did not, when I, I did not want to do that show in LA. I just did not because hmm. I didn't have a suntan and I wasn't a size zero. So uh, I didn't want to yeah, do the show yeah. in LA. Well, um, I mean, when people say write your own show, I mean, because, you know, and as a playwright, it's like, my question is, how do I get produced? And the answer is you produce yourself. Um, but to write a show for yourself and then give yourself how many characters that you had to differentiate between? 15. It was all sort of different variate. And I didn't know what the hell I was doing, George. I, mean, I didn't know what I was doing. It was total beginner's mind, yeah. you know? So I had never written anything from start to finish. Really. I didn't know. Like I said, it, uh, this was this was even before I was writing monologues yeah. for the kids. This was graduate school. I had no idea what I was doing. And I would have um, one of my pro- professors would stop in uh, for rehearsal. She didn't, wasn't rehearsed, uh, directing it as uh, was student directed. Mm-hmm. And um, but she would come in and give me some notes and kind of guide me to more of an arc kind of a thing. It was really sort of. Uh, this episodic journey through my life because I played myself at various ages. Yeah. And then I also played the inner critic inside my head. His character's name is Mr. Horrible and, and, <laughs> and Mr. Horrible and the chubby little girl meet when the chubby little girl is maybe um, 
let's say six or seven years old and she's playing jump rope with her friends, you know, and so they meet then. So I played myself as a chubby little girl, as Mr. Horrible, as a teenager who couldn't fit into the jeans that everybody Uh else was wearing. I played a counselor, you know, uh, I work uh, a fat, not a fat camp, but like, like, like almost like a, Overeater Anonymous group leader, you know, just sure, yeah. so happy and yeah. fun and you're going to be fun and food is love. Uh-huh. And, right. It was a total spoof. So who else did I play? I played my mother. <laughs> uh, uh, and, I'm not uh, sure I want to go there, but. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I wasn't sure either. Well, she didn't ever see the show. She read it, but she didn't see it. Yeah. And um, yeah, so there was a bunch of different characters. So then sure. after it was on the shelf for a while, um, I have a friend who's a who's a professor, a theater professor at the uh, University of Central Florida in Orlando, and he said, "Did you ever think about making this an ensemble piece for women? Because the theater, especially educational theater, is lacking roles, you know, like that yeah. for women, especially colleges." And I thought, well, I never thought about doing that, but then I took the piece. And that's what I did. And fat, P-H-A-T, fat, became fat girls. And fat girls has had quite a journey. Uh, colleges love it. It's been produced a lot. It sounds like um, the right kind of material exactly for that, for that range yeah, for, of actors. Because and, I mean, you, were, you were talking before about the 14-year-old girl was talking about being divorced and having three kids. Right, and right. one of the things that always got me about university theater curriculums was you've got 17 year olds 18 year olds playing 40 year olds in 19th century russia because (laughs) Chekhov is you know is has to be done and people with no life experience are playing glass menagerie and (laughs) i know they're classics but could we be a little bit more out of touch with who our acting pool is i mean they do the same stuff over and over and over again and I mean, get some new stuff in there yeah. people get some stuff that's written for people who have sensibilities that that can be understood you know, i mean these kids are in there and they think acting is pretending you're somebody completely different and that's not it right well that's that was the conundrum for me in grad school because in in class, they would give me like, do you realize what a strong and powerful woman you are? So they would giving me scenes where I would play Clytemnestra or Lady Macbeth oh. and, and trying to bring out my strength and show the anger and all this stuff. But they weren't casting me like that. They would never have cast me that way. Yeah. So that was, you know, this just knocking heads yeah. with the faculty mm-hmm. and, um, and, and the reason I chose to do so many characters because I wanted to show, a, you know, you have to remember, I wrote this to showcase my acting, range, yeah. not sure. to say, oh, I'm a writer, <laughs> you know. No, um, give but, me parts I want, so I'm going to write my own. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So now Fat is Fat Girls, and um, I have had the pleasure of directing it a couple of times and I directed it twice in California. And then I actually, after I moved up to Portland, I um, 
I was asked by a, a, a local university to come on board and direct it. And so I had cast, I had directed it to high school productions of it. And then I directed a university. That's actually, I think I sent you a YouTube link. It was a little documentary did, on the yes. making of fat yeah. girls at a Pacific university. Yes. So that was great. Cause it was great to work with older women than, you know, they yeah. got it a little bit more than the, but the high school kids were great too. Cause oh. they all have gone through that. Um, you know, yeah, directing that's, that's, a cast of girls with all these, you know, eating disorders. There's a, there's a toilet center uh -huh. stage, you know, I mean, how, how more blatant can you get? <laughs> yeah, you could put it in big crayon letters, but I don't think you need to do that. Um, yeah. Kicking back, touching back to, I mean, taking on such a huge project, it seems like you're not a stranger to taking on big, huge projects to do. Um, and, and I want to get into how you and I kind of met a little bit because I know you primarily because you are the editor of now let me go through all of this okay because this is I think in one year best 10 minute plays of 2022 best men's monologues of 2022 best women's monologues laughter is the best medicine 45 five minute plays all for Smith and Krauss you are the editor, and if I'm correct, it means you do the selections, you pick, you oversee all the details, like who played it in the original, uh, you know, lineup, and what dates was it. And having done a couple of books myself as an editor, I sit here in total awe. I mean, I am pretty much, you know, just salaming here in, in, in front of you. Um, how did you manage to survive that? Well, that's incredible. Um, Lawrence Harbison held that title for many, 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 many years. Yeah. And Larry's, Larry, you know, you look back on those, that whole series, they've been doing the series for 30 years. Yeah, I love Larry. And He's one of my favorite people in the universe. He's wonderful. He's a wonderful guy. And I don't have any dirt to dish, nor would I if I Oh, no, did. no. I would not want dirt on Larry, no. Let's, let's <laughs> not dirty Larry left. Larry left Smith & Krause. And then there was a couple of years where it was just weird. They ran it as a contest or something. I think they 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 wanted to continue the anthology series. Mm -hmm. um, in 2020, when the pandemic hit... I pitched to Eric Krauss. I said, what about doing an anthology on um, plays about coronavirus? Because everything's on Zoom now. So the whole book would be Zoom plays and the yeah. theme would be coronavirus. And at first he didn't bite. And then he said, well, can we keep them short? Can we, instead of 10 minutes, can we do five? And I said, yeah. And he goes, and can we make it funny? Because I think we're all just a little bit over the traumatic COVID-19 pandemic. And this was I early. This pandemic to end now. I know. Well, this was early still. This was maybe May yeah. of 2020 when I pitched it. He said, you know what, Debbie? Um, if you want to do this on spec, go ahead. And if it's good, I'll publish it. But I can't, I can't, I can't you know, I'm not going to commission you to do this if you if you want to take this idea and run with it i will look at it i said right. okay 
I had nothing else to do. I was not teaching anymore. Everything was shut down. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I'm telling you, everybody knows what the situation was. My whole life so has I been put, Zoom for the past two years, especially through. Right, right. Yeah. And I just, I actually kind of, I think I got the idea because the 24-hour plays were, were doing monologue series. Sure, yeah. And I'm, I don't remember exactly how I got the idea, but that's how I got the idea. So I, uh, I'm a newbie at this, right? I've well, never really done this before to reach out to people beyond my own circle of playwright people. So I put it up on uh, the playwriting boards for submissions. I mean, I didn't get a lot. I mean, I, in, in respect to what I got later on for the, the yeah. best of, um, I, th I think I probably got over 100 um, okay. or just about 100 submissions for this. Um, and they are five-minute plays, and they are funny. And at first, I was only going to take 25, and then I found some more, and then I found some more. And so then I want, but I wanted to, Smith & Cross loves to do the whole number thing, 45 five-minute plays. Sure, yeah. in the time. Mm -hmm. So I so I did 45 plays, including one of my own, and um, I did it fast um, because I, was smart in this, but I had a very small submission window. Um, the place came in, the submissions closed. I got, I went through my hundred submissions, short plays, easy to read. And I picked out the best ones. And at, for these particular pieces, it didn't matter if they had had, it was, you know, they can be unproduced, didn't matter because the whole world is upside down. Yeah. So, um, so it didn't have the, it didn't have the stipulations that the the anthology yep. series has sure, yeah. and um i sent i think i did it really fast like in two months i sent I, I finished it and i sent it to eric and he's like this is wonderful um let's do it let's print this mm -hmm. and so that is how that came up and then i think because he was so impressed with now eric and i've had a relationship back going back to uh, early two. 2001 is when we first met for the monologue book, teen monologue book. And I had already have with them, I have, I don't even know anymore, of the monologue book. I have a theme book. I have 20 10 minute plays. These are all for teenagers. Yeah. And then I, then I started editing, having teens writing for teens monologue book. So I have all of those plus Smith and Krause's has um, published a, an actor edition of Fat Girls. So I have a good relationship with Smith and Krause. So um, he approached me and he said, I need an editor for the annuals and would you want to take that on? And I didn't know what I was getting myself into. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I suppose I did, but I didn't really realize what yeah. it was going to be. How did I survive that? I uh, kicking and screaming. It was well. Well, you obviously did survive it, and yeah, kudos to you. But boy, that is something because you know I've been seeing these books for as long as I can remember. The best plays of 1964, yeah. 1973, <laughs> 1981, and you know I I look through these things, and part of me because I've always been a theater geek, you know, and, and part of me was, comes down to, so who picks these? 
And what are they looking for? What's their criteria? And now I know. <laughs> it's you. Well, I mean, this year. Well, now it's me. Now it's me. Yeah. Because I did the 2021s. And I said to my husband, I'm not sure that I want to do it next year. Um, we had a little, we had a little, uh, how do I say this nicely? We had um, a little Please head party. bump with um, with the um, typesetter and the graphic designer. And sure. there was a lot of back and forth, back and forth of mistakes not being corrected. And it was just an arduous. The thing was, it opened up a world for me that I had not allowed myself to be a part of before. And I say allowed myself because when I finally recognized that I was a playwright, when I was writing beyond Fat Girls, and I've written a lot more since then, um, I was uh, thinking, you know, it's a solitary job and I don't know any other playwrights and I would like to when I moved to Portland I got involved in a couple of different playwriting groups but to be honest it just it really wasn't for me for whatever yeah. reason um the chemistry you know, has to be right and the people have it to has be to right. be a good fit and the the, the the kind of support right has to be right and 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 I didn't find that to be yeah. true so yeah um when I started the 2021 series. I I had taken myself off of Facebook. Um, it was just getting me. I went back on Facebook. I understand that. And now I'm reading. So I the, the window for that first series, the 2021 series, with combining the 10 minute plays and the women and men's monologues, there was over a thousand. Uh, it must have been 1,052 submissions. That now, I opened the window at, in August and ended it in December. And I was reading all along yeah. because I never, I didn't have anything else to do. And I really wasn't writing my own stuff. And what it did, what, then I would find someone who I, like, who is this person? This play is amazing. Yeah. I'd go on NPX. And I read more about them. And um, and then I went on Facebook and I started friending. And then I got involved in some of the Facebook groups, which can be a little, you know. Yes. Combative. <laughs> <laughs> a little tricky to navigate, shall we? Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I started, you know, as silly as it might sound, I started making friends yeah. with people that, you know, I've now never met, but I was falling in love with their work and getting to know them. And then once I started making an offers to people and then reaching out a little bit more and, and suddenly I found myself and I guess it's Facebook and NPX community. I found myself like, oh, we I, I introduced myself as I am a playwright. Yes, I am a playwright first uh -huh. an editor second. And how do I pick? I pick the plays. If you catch my interest in the three <laughs> lines, yeah, I can be, you know, I can be sold. And again, just like the structure, if it's if it's different, if it's unique, I tend to really like. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't take a rocket science to figure out that I'm gonna go for the what's different, what stands out is maybe quirky, not the right. cliched stuff. Yeah. You know, I got so many park 
bench plays, George. You know, I've, I've, I've been like, doing this podcast for 10 years and I've been soliciting plays pretty much every single year on different themes. So I know exactly what you're going through. I'm Right now I'm in the middle of one on pets. And I will never do pets again. Um, <laughs> because, I mean, going back to what you and I were speaking of earlier, a lot of these plays are about the ending of the pet owner or human relationship. And mm -hmm. I was kind of stunned at how many I got. But um, over the years, I've found while trying to go through these plays, I kind of put them into groups of, yes, I've seen this before. And, ooh, this is new. Let's see what else is here. Um, and the criteria is constantly shifting. And I can't say this is what I'm looking for, but I mean, because sometimes I don't even know what I'm looking for. And it's hard when you've got so many plays sitting in front of you to yep. give your best judgment to. So, I mean, I, um, yeah. Th and the, these last two years, our criteria did have to shift because of the pandemic. So we couldn't take, you know, a lot of these plays were supposed to be produced and never were where they were produced on Zoom or they were, were readings. But if you go back and look at prior volumes, none of them were done as readings. They were all, they all had to be produced. Right. And um, so that lifted a little bit. I think if I do next year's right. and I'm still smack dab in the middle of, I'm in the proofreading stage right now, which is excruciating. It's just so tedious and I need absolute and total quiet and the ten, the ten minute play is a beast. You know, it's it's fifty yeah. pl plays, and so that's the big fat one. And um, if you interrupt me, if Zelda, my dog, comes up to me, looking at me, and going, fuck, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'll immediately lose my spot. So, um, so it's taking me a little bit of time considering what's going on. But, Let me ask you this, uh, so, because you just brought this up, and I'm, I, I yeah. don't want to let this go. Okay. Like I said, it, it used to be, you'd have to have a live, on your feet, in front of an audience production um, to be eligible for publication. With many of the theaters closing, and with a lot of them still closed over the past two years, um, I'm not talking about the ones you're working on now, but I'm talking if you are going to do that, or, you know, in your opinion for, you know, 2023 or 24, will Zoom productions count? And if so, what kind of Zoom productions? That's uh, it's, it's a great question, because I've been thinking about that as I'm going through these things. First of all, um, the COVID play is getting very tired already. And I really, you know, I did the COVID, the, the COVID book, the laughter is the best medicine book, specifically just COVID. Yeah. A lot of the plays in the 2021 dealt with the virus and the pandemic. And if they were good and they did have a different spin on it, just like what, you know, just like we said, they're doing the same thing, but they're doing it in a way I've never seen before. I would bite. But um, this year, not as many. And what I'm noticing is the playwrights, because things opened up a little bit in the middle, 
before Delta came along. Mm. We had a little bit of opening and some people actually got live performances in somewhere in 2021. Yeah. So, um, so there's less, there was less uh, coronavirus content and, and, but what playwrights will do, and I've done it myself, because a lot of times you'll look at a submission and they'll say, uh, if, you know, we're planning on doing this outside summer of 23, but we might, we don't know. So, so you write in a little playwright note, right? You know, if this is do, if this is done on stage, you can have, you know, character A on one side of the stage and character B on the other side of the stage. Because we don't know what we're doing. Are these we playwrights like? Are we writing for Zoom? Are we writing for the stage? This is What's brand going new on? Territory. All of a sudden, yeah. everything we know about theater has been taken away, literally taken away from us. We have no more yes. rehearsal rooms. We have no more live audiences. Right. The only thing we've got is a bunch of scribbly words on a page and a bunch of actors going. What do I do now? Right. Exactly. And. I don't know that we'll ever completely get away from Zoom. You know, I mean, we're still very much into this pandemic, though yes. many people will disagree with me. But, you know, my my niece, my 26-year-old niece just came down with it. I mean, it's not, it's not gone. Yeah. I, I still I'm wear not, my not, mask. I know people who just came down with it. I've known people all, we've lost like close to two dozen people mm -hmm. because of yeah, I know. And, and I'm still dealing with people going, I don't know anybody who's got it. Uh, cool. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, I'm not a huge fan of it, but I think that just in a very short period of time, people have become really great with the whole green screen thing and making yeah. it work. And so I have to have a talk with Eric about it. I want to kind of, uh, kind of edge away from getting any kind of any more zoom plays but i don't think that it's gonna it can be a door that can be absolutely closed because i think there's going to be a lot of really good material that might be shut out if and more plays are being actually being produced on mm -hmm. zoom not as readings they are being produced fully yeah. you know i had a show last weekend i don't even remember <laughs> um it was a short five minute piece and it was on zoom but you know, they did a really good job with it. Um, and both actresses are memorized and all that. So um, I can't definitively answer your question. Yeah, no, I, don't I wasn't really expecting a solid gold answer. I was yeah. just throwing this up there to get your perspective because you're a lot closer to they who make the decisions than... Well, what I might do if I do it again, and I always, it's always like, oh, right. um, is... I think I might just say, because I've seen other submission opportunities say no, uh, no coronavirus plays. And I almost want to uh, add no Alzheimer parent child plays. Um, yeah, I have gotten so many of those too. Oh, sure, yeah. And I'm actually one of the statistics. And you know, my, my mom passed away from Alzheimer's. So it's very tempting to write a play about that. But right. um but there's so many. I mean, this is what's happening in our world right now. And I get it. I get that this is what is happening in a, a playwright's life. And they want to write about it. Yeah. Um, but find also, a different spin on it. We're a lot freer to write about things like that now and actually call them by their real names. Sure. Whereas before it was always couched in something. And it was, 
referred to and it never quite got to the heart of the matter. It was more of a peripheral kind of exploration of what's going on. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah. They're, they're, right. They didn't that. name it. Right. They didn't. I remember seeing, I wish I could remember the name of the play. It was a long time. It was back in the 90s and it, day trippers, day trip, day trip, something like that. And it, the mother had Alzheimer's. I saw it in LA with like one of my favorite actresses, an LA actress, Angie Bird. And she was, she played a mom with uh, Alzheimer's, but they never said the word. Right. I don't even remember them saying dementia. And of course I don't remember who, who the playwright was, but it was, yeah. it was haunting. And now it's become, I hate to say it, but it's become so common that we're not, we don't, we were desensitized to, to it a little bit. It's, it's become the norm instead of be, being, but then again, on the other hand, it's also a hell of a lot scarier than it used to be because now we're, everybody's talking about it and right. everybody's seeing it one way or the other. And the more time goes on, the older we get, the more we start to wonder. Right. Because no one knows where the hell this thing is going to strike next. And That's right. It's the scariest monster I can think of at this particular point. Sure. Yeah. Well, and that's, um, you mentioned on the porch. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that is that, such a lovely, that, I love that. That's, that's oh. just me have, dealing with, and so you had asked before, like, what, what do I want to talk about? And this is, this is, how can you ever say that you want to write about something when you haven't hit that milestone in your own life? Yeah. But, you know, I, I was sitting on my porch <laughs> watching the squirrels and just feeling very angry at the world and how they treat older people. And now I'm one of them. You know, I am in this demographic now yeah. and no, my big thing was just, nobody tells you and i'll just be really really blunt they will educate a young girl about menstruation but they do not educate very well on menopause <laughs> they'll tell you how to start but they don't tell you how to finish yeah and i couldn't believe what was happening to me and my body it was flipping me out <laughs> and and i felt like if i would talk to people about it it was coming out sounding as like an excuse. If I would talk to my doctor about it, my 30 something year old doctor, sure. she was not very empathetic. Yeah. And so I got into this very angry state about it. And it's not anything new, but again, I feel like we're now living in a world where we can start talking about right. that. Yeah. And if we're not, I would like to, because I really feel like I want, you know, a 20 something year old woman is not going to listen to me when I tell her what happens when you're 60 years old, but yeah. I want to put it out there. You know, it should be there for anybody who wants to educate themselves on it. You know what I mean? And it's funny. I think it's funny. So if, you know, if humor makes anything palatable, <laughs> so yeah, you know, if, we, that's, that's if I funny. can do that, and 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 keep the humor alive about it and it's not just this rant of this you know bitter old lady well, uh, i'm going to try to entertaining do you know and i mean that's hey. one of the things you can put anything across 
and I don't mean entertaining like song and dance, you know, slipping on a banana peel kind of thing. Right. Uh, it, it has to keep the interest. It has to play to your sense of, of wonder and, and uh, um, suspense of disbelief. But that's, I mean, that can come in so many different forms. Mm -hmm. And, you know, who knows? We may just get, you know, over the next five years, a, a, a raft of menopause plays just because people <laughs> heard you on the show and they're like, that was a good idea. Right. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, uh, I never watched the Golden Girls, but I do know, I recently found out with the passing of Betty White, I found out that the Golden Girls, when that show was on, they were all in their 50s. Yeah, they were so young, and they but they addressed these issues. You know, wasn't it a Norman Lear yeah, show? No, they, they, yeah. Didn't he like always like push the envelope and stuff? They were bold. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I started writing. I wrote this monologue called "Nurturing the Crone" again for myself mm -hmm. to come to terms with. You know, to try because I started getting really interested in the arc the archetype of the crone and the hag and what, where she appears in mythology and she's sure, yeah. just old and wise and it's very fascinating and it's all tied up with the mythology and there's the the maiden it's the yeah it's the maiden and then the mother and then the crone right and um and so, so i have to you know reading the different definitions of each i'm definitely hitting crone so i wrote wrote this monologue called nurturing the crone and then i wrote then, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's in my head now. I'm thinking, what a cool idea for a, it could be a solo show. It'd be a hell of a tour de force for an actor to play all three, right? To play yeah. the crone, the mother, and the maiden. And so it's three monologues that I have right now. It's actually up on NPX and it's just sitting there right now. But, you know, it's just this idea. I wanted to get it down. And, um, I just think it would be kind of cool. I if it ever comes like to fruition, yeah, you know? I'd love to have a look at that. In fact, I will have a look at that as soon as I can cool. finish my pets thing. <laughs> We're just taking <laughs> up all my time. Um, when I was doing research on you, I came across an article, an interview where you start talking about possibly my favoriteest ever subject in the whole world, which is play workshopping. And to quote you, workshops are amazing because now it becomes collaborative between the playwright, director, and actor. I love this part, me too. I love seeing what an actor and director can bring to the work. And for me, this has always been one of the best parts of playwriting is sitting in the back, keeping my mouth shut, watching a bunch of trusted professional colleagues rip the hell out of my play, take <laughs> out my best joke, which yep. happens every single time. Um, oh, no. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. You know, it's just that, that day I sat in the cafe and I was like, I am the cleverest person in the world. I'm writing this down. This is hilarious. And I get to like, you know, the second week and they're like, no, this has got to go. Um, it's not working. <laughs> but to watch the play mature, develop, come to fruition, however you do, choose to describe this, for me, is a magical, magical experience. I mean, I love it. How did you... How did you get into this? How did, how, did, how did you find this? And what's been your experience with it? And I've got one more question. With workshopping? After that. Yeah. Or development, um, anyway. Well, I'm going to talk about one in particular. Um, I have a play called Triangle Logic that I wrote. 
And once again, my good friend from University of Central Florida, he read it, loved it. And he had three grad students who were looking for uh, their thesis project. And when he gave them the script, they said they wanted to do this play, which was incredibly flattering. They actually flew me out um, for a week of rehearsal and then they did the, and then I was there for the, for the run of the show. And um, first of all, it's a little bit of out of body because by the time it got into this, into rehearsal, I thought, and they would have a question, a very, very specific question about yeah. their character. Uh -huh. I thought, I don't remember writing that. <laughs> and that seems to happen a lot when we get to that stage of, of the process. But I don't remember writing it. And it's not, I'm not going to get all woo-woo on you and say, oh, the muse takes over and I just start writing. But it also happened to me when I was an actor, you know, like, you know, all your lines. And then this, the minute the show is over and the run of the show is over, uh, you don't remember a thing right. about the experience. But um, well, you get to the end of the show and you realize you don't remember a second of what you just did for the past two hours. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know what happens. Well, you know, you're being channeled. We're vessels. I know that. The what was so amazing was that it got to the point where it seemed like the actors the, and these are grad school actors and they're work, working their little tushies off, right? To, to do all the good acting things that they are yeah. being taught to do. So I actually, you know, in lieu of just working with incredible professionals, it was an amazing experience to work with these three actors and they would ask me questions about these these characters that I found myself thinking, you know them better than I do at this point. Uh -huh. You know, uh -huh. you're living in them. They said lines that I never in a million years had in my head. They would say the line that I wrote, right? but they said it in such a way that I and put a spin on it that I just went, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I never thought of that. You know, a simple stage direction from the director who says, you know, while you're sitting there waiting, you're waiting for him to show up to the cafe. You're nervous. Why don't you just start ripping the napkin? I can't even tell you <laughs> how much that added. I mean, you're smiling right now because you know what I'm talking about. I know about. exactly what Little, you're talking about. Yeah. You know, that you can't possibly do in your own head by yourself. Maybe if we were novelists, we could, but we don't. And so the things that are added, you know, it's very frightening to me to take the newborn baby and hand it over and say, okay, uh -huh. you take care of the baby now. But what it's, I mean, that's why we do theater. And, you know, of course they can ruin it too. <laughs> They can really, really ruin yeah. it. And I've had that experience as well, where I felt like I was getting suggestions and suddenly I felt like I was writing in a box uh, in a completely, I'm not even going to mention the name of the play, but in a different play. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, the suggestions that were being made, I, I wholeheartedly disagreed with. They wanted me to create an entirely new character to accommodate the telling of the story. And I really, really 
disagreed with it, but I have a dramaturg and a director who are much more aggressive than I am. Mm -hmm. And so I bent and said, okay. And I have never been good with, <laughs> with that decision on that particular <clears throat> Yeah. So I, it can it can go either way, but from mostly I have to say, I, I've been very lucky in, in the workshopping process where it only added to make the play better. That's what's happened to me most of the time that I've been in workshopping, yeah. and which is why I'm such a devotee of it. And there have been those moments where an actor, a director, a dramaturg will turn around to me and ask me a question that is so incorrect which means they're not getting it. I know they're not getting it. Um, right. I know why they're not getting it, which means somehow they either didn't do their homework or they're just having a bad day or something. And I generally, I've developed this, this wonderful response, which is, you know what, I'm gonna look at that. I'm gonna think about that. Let's drop that right now, okay? And you let me think about this for a couple of days and I will come back with an answer for you. And that usually deflects just about all the stuff I can't think about while I'm in the session. Sure. Because you're in a session. You are basically, once the, once the spotlight is on you and they're asking you questions, you got actors looking at you, waiting for a brilliant answer because you're the playwright. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and that's what's going on in my head. You know, there's a baby drooling into his diapers. Um, right, because you're put on the spot. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. And again, it's that thing where you, they're asking you something about, they're asking you a question about something that you wrote seemingly months ago, maybe uh -huh. even longer. And you, what were you thinking about when you wrote that line? <laughs> I don't know. What does this line mean? Sex? You know, these kinds know. of questions. Yeah. Well, then you turn it around, like you said, deflect. Well, what does mm. it mean to you? <laughs> because I don't really remember. I mean, you know, they, They'll sometimes put you up on a pedestal because they think that you know have all yeah. the answers to the questions of this play. And the fact is, the and the questions have only just begun once you get into a workshop sure. of it. You know, when you bring all these other people into it. Yeah. And yeah. Um, you know, you, my questions were answered. A lot of my stuff was answered. I, I really favor writing ambiguity. And I love it when it's done well. I'm not sure that I do it well. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. But, you know, sometimes if I leave it way, way, I don't, you know, I leave it way too ambiguous and they're trying to find the thread and, you know, the ambiguity is merely me trying to get the audience to lean forward in their seats and go, yeah. let me figure this out. But if it's really a struggle, then you have to go back in. You should make the audience a little more not too hard. Right. Just to not right. to feel like they've been engaged. Because if you make them work too hard, they're going to get lost, and they shut off almost right away. It's it's a very right. very well. They'll, yeah, they'll just stop yeah. working. You know, we've been at this for pretty much fifty minutes. This has been really. So, this has it hasn't so felt awesome. like it. I know. It feels like we just got started. We can do this for another yeah. three hours. Um, wow! But you're so you. easy to talk to. <laughs> well, thank you so much. You are too. Thank um, you. This has been so good. Um, Thank you so much for, for stopping by and talking about your work and giving us insight into 
how these magical books of wonder, you know, <laughs> get, get birthed. So for our audience, um, how can we find out more about you? Be, um, oh. You know, it's as a, as a writer, as a, as a theater personality, where can we go in the ether mm-hmm. to get more Debbie? <laughs> Um, my website's pretty up to date for the most part. I try to keep it up to date. So my website is my name, DebbieLamedman.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also on New Play Exchange, Debbie Lamedman on New right. Play Exchange. And I have you know, a good amount of work on, but you can't get in there if you're not a member. Well, you have to be a member. Yeah. So, so yeah. members, click on me and recommend my work. Um, and also I have stuff up on youtube oh you know if you go up on youtube there's some stuff there's some things like oh oh there's a oh, oh. there's a a channel called uh hear me out monologues okay hosted by roland tech and i have a couple monologues up there nice and he does he's do this is the second year he's done this monologue competition called hear me out and then you know if you win you win some big Bucks. Right. I haven't won either time, but he's asked me to be on this program he started called Someone Speaking, and it's all monologues. And then he puts them up on YouTube, so you can nice. find me there. Nice, great, cool. Well, thank you so much, and good luck getting through the rest of these books. And, <laughs> yeah. and maybe next year. <laughs> <laughs> Hey kids, thanks for listening to On Stage, Off Stage. On Stage, Off Stage is produced monthly and all of our shows can be found at onstageoffstage.org and also on iTunes and Spotify. If you enjoy what we do, please recommend us to your friends. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at OnOffStage. And if you are a theater artist with an upcoming project of interest or know of someone in the theater who'd make some seriously good chat, By all means, send us a note at info at onstageoffstage.org. I'm George Sapio. Thank you once again for listening. And please, stay safe. Be careful, not only for yourself, but for those with whom we all share this rock. And as always, happy theatering to all of you.